Um, yep, just to, you know, Jordan said it, but the, the next steps with uh, um, the missions conference, it was great, the three weeks for me, just hearing again about God's heart for the nations. And if you didn't get a bag, we really are wanting every individual, every family to have one of these. There's still some more. I don't think I said first service. I know they're back in that back room, number one. There's some back there. So on your way, if you out didn't get one, it's got really spicy candy in here from Mexico, a prayer guide, but also a cool biography for, about a missionary. And I just, again, I challenge you. I, these powerfully impacted our family. Pat read a lot of these to our children and was part of, I think, our family developing that heart for the nation. So grab one of those. Um, also in relation to missions, um, as Jordan said, we're really wanting to the response cards, the faith promise, how much you're committing to give, trusting God to give you that. And your next steps, uh, I want to read a quote from Alexander McLaren, a famous pastor um, related to missions. Um, and he quoted uh, William Carey. I said Jim Carey first service. Got a lot of snickers. Uh, I don't think Jim Carrey would have said this. William Carey, the famous missionary to India, said, I'm going down into the pit and you hold the ropes. And Alexander McLaren then said this. He said, they that hold the ropes and the daring miner that swings away down in the darkness are one in work. They may be one in the motive, and if they are, they shall be one in the reward. And so even though God doesn't call me to go, if he calls me to hold the rope, to have one missionary family I pray for regularly, to give the faith promise, to, to try to grow in my understanding of God's heart for the nations. I will get the reward of a prophet. Jesus talks about that in Matthew. So just challenge you. Let's, we want to be a part of what God's doing among the nations. Um, and then one more thing. Uh, the latest Sally edition came out recently. And as I went through it, I couldn't help but notice, but our own Aaron Blocker was one of the main features. Aaron, way to go. Um, so pull that up and read it. Genevieve Lowry also made it in here, and I'm not sure where Genevieve is, which page, but there's a little thing about Genevieve. So just wanted to, to show you guys that. Um, cool to see the blockers in there. Hey, one more thing about Missions Conference. Um, that thing took a lot of work from our tech team to pull off. The interviews on Zoom and all of that, those guys put in a lot of work. I think there was a lot of scrambling every morning of just trying to get things to work. And I know those guys are back there and are not very seen by us. Is there anybody out here who works in the tech team? If there is, I want you to stand up. Is there anybody out here that works? You're not back there today, but you... Okay, Charles. And then the guys back here. But we, again, we honor people who dedicate themselves to working for the Lord anonymously and unseen like those guys are back in a booth. Can we also, can we let them know we appreciate the time? I look at Jonathan back there. He's like an old, crusty veteran. Jonathan put in a lot of time, so appreciate you guys. Okay, we are starting a new series today, um, calling it Entrusted. And we have a postcard. Lisa helped me design these. Lisa's amazingly gifted how she can take my ideas and make them beautiful. Um, so we want you to take this and keep it. This is, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, a series on stewardship, and this is, you can put in your Bibles a bookmark, a way to remind us of the things we're going to talk about the next four weeks. But I want to start with one of my favorite founding fathers, George Washington, one of the greatest men in our nation's history. A lot of people don't know this. He did surveying as a very young man, I mean as a teenager, and he was out in the far west doing survey work where 
There were no, no, no people of European descent had ever been the places he went. Ended up going into the Ohio Valley and purchased some of the land he surveyed. 15,000 acres he actually owned in the Ohio Valley. And nobody, no European folk were out there. Um, he hired a man named Valentine Crawford to go there to live on that land and to manage that 15,000 acres off of him, mainly to keep squatters off of the land, which is a constant problem on the frontier. He got word that Crawford was not managing his land well. There were a lot of squat squatters who were developing farmsteads, and once they did that, you weren't getting them off. So when he heard he wasn't managing them well, he wrote a letter. And here's what he wrote to Valentine. As you are now receiving my money, your time is not your own, and every day or hour misapplied is a loss to me. I shall consider you in no other light than as a man who has engaged his time and service to conduct and manage my interests. My interests. And I think somebody did a painting of him as he wrote this letter. He looks pretty serious, doesn't he, about, uh, about how Valentine was mismanaging his time. But this whole thing that, that Washington's talking about that he had paid him money to do out there is that, that he was there for his interests, for Washington, not for his own. And it's that idea of being a steward. That man was hired to be a steward of him. And when I say Stuart, I'm not talking about the, the famous Stuart clan from, uh, from Scotland, though any chance I can throw some Scottish people up, I'll do that. Um, I'm talking about Stuart as in stewardship, managing things that belong to somebody else. And I want to look at a text today as we do an overview of this topic of what the Bible says. I want to look at 1 Chronicles 29. I invite you to turn there with me if you have your Bible. Um, 1 Chronicles 29 or in your phone. Um, if you would, I don't have this on the screen, um, but I'd like this to stand and read it together. If you have an NIV, please read with me. If not, you can follow along silently because if everybody reads in different translations, it'll sound like we're speaking in tongues and we don't want to frighten anybody away. So, but if you would stand with me, and again, if you have an NIV, if you would read aloud with me and be bold, my voice is ringing out loud and I'm a shy guy, so please read boldly. We're going to start in verse 6. And sadly, I got my small print Bible, so I'm going to stand about 20 feet back so I can read. Uh, you guys know what that's like, right, some of you? So we're going to start in verse 6, where it says, Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God, 5,000 talents, 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jael the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David, the king, also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. 
Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. And we will stop at verse 16. And God's people said to the reading of his word, amen, because this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, before, I, before I jump in on this topic of stewardship, as you read through this, verse 15 uh, sounds a little confusing. It's hard to translate. Uh, scholars debate, especially those last three words, without hope. The NLT, just for your information, translates that verse this way. We are here for only a moment visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. That may better reflect that verse, but that's not my point. I want to spend the next few minutes setting up this, this series that we're calling Entrusted on Stewardship, because I think this, this scripture, many years ago as I went through it, this passage, I pulled out six principles that I saw that... Um, were powerful to me a long time ago when I looked at this, and so I want to take a minute to reflect on these as kind of the setup to where we're going the rest of the month. And I do have a handout on some of the, uh, if you're a handout note kind of guy, the scripture is actually on that. I left out verse uh, the 15, that one. I left out the verse that talked about the hundreds and thousands of talents and all of that, but it has the core of the, the scripture on there with the principles. So feel free to use that to take notes, to underline, draw arrows, to your heart's delight. That's what I do with a text. So, All right, so here's principle one that I see in First Chronicles 29. Principle one is this. Everything that exists is from God and belongs to God. It's all His. And if I were to summarize that with one word as I sat the other day, I thought ownership. It's His. The ownership belongs to Him. So you can write that word ownership down. If you look in verse 11, it says, everything in heaven and earth is yours. Go to verse 14. Everything comes from you. And then only what comes from your hand um, is what we've given to you is the rest of verse 14. And then the very end of verse 16 says, all of it belongs to you. So the passage is, is crystal clear that God is the owner of everything, everything in the whole universe, including my life and everything that I have. David says the same thing in Psalm 24, 1, where he says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So ownership, everything is God's. That's the, the first principle of stewardship. Principle number two is this. Everything I have then is a gift from God's good hand. Everything I have then is a gift from God's good hand. And when I thought of that, the word I thought of was entrusted. Everything, God owns everything, but then he gives it to me, gives me things. He entrusts them to me. We see it in verse 12 where it says, wealth and honor, they come from you. Also in verse 12, in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Verse 16, all of this abundance, it comes from your hands. So they're acknowledging that God is the owner and that the things we have are good gifts from him given to us. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. 
where he asked this question, this question, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Everything we have is a gift from God. Deuteronomy 8.18, Moses remind, tells his people, the Israelites, to remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Even the ability you have to work and make an income, all of that, that it's all a gift from him. So, ownership, God owns everything. Number two, everything I have, my life included, has been gifted to me, so it's been entrusted to me. Principle three is this, therefore I am a steward of everything I possess. I'm a steward of everything I possess. The word that came to my mind when I was thinking of this principle was the word manager. I'm a manager of what's entrusted to me. Some other words, maybe caretaker is a better word. Trustee, overseer, those are similar words. In 1 Peter 4.10, now, and I will say, this isn't stated specifically in the text, but to me it's implied. If God's the owner, and then if he gives us every good thing as a gift to us, the implication is, is that I'm a manager of that. We see this in 1 Peter 4.10, where he says, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others faithfully, stewarding God's grace in its various forms, faithfully stewarding his grace. So every good gift is from him for us to steward, to manage well on his behalf. So God's the owner. He entrusts me with everything in my life, and then he expects me to manage that or to be a good, a good caretaker of that. Fourth principle I find in this text is this, that as a steward, I should use what I have in a responsible manner, faithfully administering it for his purposes and his glory. I should use whatever I have in a responsible manner, faithfully administering it for his purposes and for his glory. And the word that came to my mind with that was trust, that when he entrusts something to you, he's giving you a trust that he expects you to manage well. He's entrusted me, all of us, with our lives, with everything that we have, everything that's a part of our lives. And in that word, entrust, is the word trust. That's why when Lisa and I were designing this, I wanted the word trust highlighted inside of this. Because when you're entrusted with something, that is a trust. There is trust being shown. And trust is expecting um, a response. And the response that trust expects to being entrusted is to be faithful with that trust. And we see this a lot in Scripture. When you see the word faithful, would you read it with me? In 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And in 1 Peter 4.10 again, this is just verse 10, Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully stewarding God's grace in its various forms. So, Trying to figure out a definition, thinking about this. I put it on the wrong place on the sheet. It should be up a little bit, but that doesn't matter. A steward is a person who's been entrusted with another's resources and given the responsibility to manage those resources according to the owner's vision, values, and desires. The God, the owner of all things, has entrusted me with things as a steward, and I'm responsible to manage those things according to his vision, for those things, his values, what matters to him, and his desires, what he wants to happen with those things. Um, I mean, there's a lot of examples of stewarding. Let me, before I get to this picture, what this is. So stewardship then is the careful, responsible management of something that's entrusted to one's care. That's what stewardship is. So if I'm a steward, I'm managing or overseeing something that doesn't belong to me. I'm not the owner 
but I have the responsibility to make sure it's handled properly. If I were to steward a ranch, like a lot of the ranches around here are, this is a picture of the land on Nation's Ranch. I'm not sure it's called Nation's Ranch anymore. It used to be owned by a guy in Texas and was managed by a family who lived, I think it was from around Gridley, if I remember right. Um, but the guy in Texas owned it, but the family that lived there managed it. And as stewards of that ranch, they didn't own any of the cattle. They didn't own the ranch house. They didn't own the land. They didn't own any of the equipment. They didn't own any of that. But they took care of it for and on behalf of the owner. If I'm a steward of somebody's money, if somebody gives me money and asks me to do something with it according to their vision, values, and desires, that's not mine to own. That's mine to dispose of in the way that they want. Tony and Lana Stidham, I don't know how many of you know Stidham, the Stidhams, um, but they are managers of a ranch. They live in the ranch house. They manage that property. The owners don't live there. So that's what all of us are, is like uh, the manager of the ranch for somebody. So what's the purpose of stewardship? In my mind, it's all about the great command. Being a steward is about loving God and loving others. It's about serving God, and it's about serving others. Specifically, the things that God gives me in my own life, that he gives it to me to love him by advancing and extending his kingdom, living for his kingdom's purposes, living for, among other things, his desire to reach all nations that we've talked about the last three weeks. And it's also about seeking his fame, not my own. Like we talked last week, as I talked, I think two weeks ago, and Ken, who did a great job last week, by the way, don't you agree, talked about the Tower of Babel and how at the Tower of Babel, they were desiring to make a name for themselves and how God confused that and tore that whole thing down. That we are to live and steward our lives to serve him, to advance his kingdom for his fame. It's interesting to me how much that idea of God's glory is in this text. If you look in verse 10, it talks, David says, praise be to you, O Lord. In verse 11, yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the majesty, the splendor. In verse 13, he talks about the praise of his glorious name. And again, in verse 16, his holy name, David's desire that God be made famous through the things they were doing and the resources they were using. In 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11, a key text in the scripture on stewardship, this idea of praise and glory of God is really central to it. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully stewarding God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it as of the ability which God gave, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. To him be the fame. Amen. That's what... That's what drives my stewardship, is wanting to live for his purposes, wanting for him to be famous, his fame to spread among the nations. But I also steward loving others because he's called me to do that by serving other people. I'm blessed. We are blessed to be a blessing. Again, the last three weeks, we talked a lot about Abraham, how God called him to bless all peoples of the earth. And in Galatians, we're told that we're the heirs of Abraham. So we have this mission of being a blessing to all people, that we, we are not just a cistern of blessing, but we're a channel that the blessing flows through us. And we do that by sharing and by serving the people around us, the people in our community. And not only serving and sharing with the people in the community, but by serving the body. 
We're called to give service to, to the local body. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4.16, where he says, speaking of the body, he says, by every supporting ligament, and right here is every supporting ligament, that's why God has you here. You're a supporting ligament of the body that by every supporting ligament, it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It only grows as each part does its work. God didn't steward any of us with not just our finances. We'll talk in a minute. Our time, our talent, our resources, our gifts to just come and sit. He gave it to us to steward it on his behalf for among other things, being a blessing to the body. So that's the fourth principle. Principle five that I find in this text. Um, and this one I find implied, which, and then I'll show you some other scripture because the Bible talks a lot about this. I'm accountable to God for the ways in which I steward my life. I'm accountable. One day I will give an account to him for the way I live my life. In this text, we find the word Lord six times. Once in verse 9, in verse 10, twice, verse 11, twice, and in verse 16. When I read it, that was one of the first things that stood out to me was the word Lord. The implication of that is that God is the owner and the Lord of something, and when he gives something to you, you will be held accountable for it. It's the implication. We know this from the rest of Scripture. In Romans 14, 12, Paul says that each of us, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. We'll all give an account of how we steward what he gave us. In Luke 12, 28, Speaking of stewardship, because the word entrusted is in here, for from everyone who's been given much, and in our culture, we've all been given much. For everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, more will be asked. In Luke 16, 1 to 3, a parable about a manager or a steward, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. And at some point I'll meet God and he'll say to me, give an account of your management of everything I gave you. That's why in 1 Corinthians 4, 2 it says, moreover, it's required of a steward that they be found faithful. That's all God asks, is that I'm faithful with what he gave me to steward it for his purposes, for his glory, loving him and loving others. In Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, which is about an owner giving three different stewards money to use on his behalf. Um, you see the word servants in there, entrusted, which are all what a steward is. I'm a servant of God. I'm entrusted by things. And the two servants who did what, who took what he gave them and invested it and used it the way he wanted, to both of them he said, and most of us have probably heard this, this famous phrase, well done good and faithful, there's that word again, good and faithful servant, that's all he asks. And when I give an account, that's what I long to hear from him, is that he'll say to me of everything he gave me, Garen, well done, good and faithful servant. I've heard Rick Warren say that when we meet God, God's going to ask two questions. I don't know if this is true, but it sounds pretty cool to me. He says, everybody that meets God at death, the first question he'll ask is, what did you do with my son? And that's the question of salvation. Did you receive him and his penalty for your sin? And if not, you won't be with him forever. You'll be separated from him forever. And then to those who will live with him forever, he'll ask the question, what did you do with what I gave you? And that's the question of stewardship. Did you steward the life and the resources I gave you well? So 
that's principle five, that I'm accountable. And principle six is this. Finally, it's only right that I gladly return a portion of all that I have to God and to his work out of gratitude for all that he's done for me. And as I was just thinking of that principle, the word that came to my mind, which isn't a word, but it's a made-up thing, gratitude giving. Gratitude giving. And we see this a lot in this text. It says they gave willingly. In verse 6 and verse 7, they gave toward the work on the temple of God. In verse 9, they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. In verse 14, you know, who am I, who are we, that we should be able to give as generously as this? Verse 14, again, we have given. Verse 16, as for all this abundance, we've provided for the building. So what we see is, is part of the way they stewarded their lives is they gladly and gratefully gave back to God a portion of what he had given them. Proverbs 3.9, speaking of money, which is going to be one of the things we're going to talk about in this series, but I think this applies to my whole life. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. That God doesn't want my leftovers after I've lived my life owning and doing what I want with my stuff and I give him what's left, if anything's left, of my time, my talent, my treasure, but what he's longing for me to do is to give him the significant portions of my time, my talent, my treasure. It's only right that if he's given me everything that I give back to him a portion of that. So those are the six principles I see in this text. Six principles that should guide my life as a follower of Jesus. And I want to tell you, this concept of a steward and of stewardship, it is so, can I say stinking? I don't know. I don't think that's a bad word. It was not, my parents never punished me for stinking. It's so stinking countercultural. This runs against the grain of everything in American culture that I'm not the owner of my life to do what I want with what I have. It just, it's, it's the total opposite of everything I hear of everything that we see. And I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. So what are the areas of my stewardship? There's actually more than this. But if you've ever read anything on this, these are the big three you always hear. Um, that I'm responsible to God for my time, my talent, and my treasure. There's some others. Just finish reading First Timothy in our Wednesday group. And he talks in there that God entrusts us with the truth. Do you remember reading about protecting the truth? Uh, Paul talks about being entrusted with his testimony. There's other things God entrusts us with. We may come back to later. But these are the three that we're going to spend the next three weeks after this on, is hitting each of these things. So three final things I kind of want to wrap up with. Those are the six principles. And as I've thought about this, there are three kind of big other thoughts that I had. And the first one is this, that stewardship is a way of life. Um, from what I read in the Bible, it's a way of life. It is a way of thinking it's a way of valuing and it's a way of doing that this has to hit me in my head, in my heart, and it has to come out of my hands, that I don't just believe that God's the owner of everything and I'm a steward. I have to value this. I have to love this concept that it's his for me to steward, and then I have to put it into practice. It requires this wholehearted devotion. If you were to look at the text um, in verse um, 9, it talks about they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. So I want this to not just be in my head. I want it to be in my heart, into my life, into all of my life that I'm a steward wholeheartedly. And as I was thinking about that, I was looking at this text and I'm like, what are the hallmarks? If I am stewarding my life wholeheartedly, what are the hallmarks? And I see four things in this scripture. Um, that if you are wholeheartedly serving 
and stewarding your life. You will do so with eagerness and willingness. We see that in verse 9, verse 6 and verse 9. In verse 6, it says willingly. I circled that. Willing response is in verse 9. So there's this eagerness to steward my life. I do it out of gratitude. In verse 13, it talks about they gave him thanks as they did this. So there's gratitude in my stewardship. That's a hallmark of my stewardship. Generosity in verse 14, if you'll look, there's the word generously. It talks about in verse 16, the word abundance. They gave abundantly. So a hallmark of a stewarding life is there's generosity to my life, generosity with my money, generosity with my time, generosity with my talents, generosity with my attitude and my spirit. It just flows into all that I, who I am. Um, and I'm on a journey of generosity. Uh, I have been since I became a believer. I grew up in a family. We didn't ever give anything to anybody, and our stuff was our stuff. And I, I, that's been a huge work God's been doing in my life. So I'm on this journey of generosity where he's continually trying to teach me to be generous in everything about my life. And then joy is the last one. Um, if you look in verse 9, it talks about they rejoiced. And if you look in verse 10, it says they rejoiced greatly. So there was joy in that. So to me, this is the hallmark that if stewardship is a way of life for me, it will be marked by this eager willingness, this desire to steward my life for him, that I'll do it with gratitude, with generosity, and that there will be joy as I offer my life. A joy that flows out of the privilege of partnering with God for his eternal work. And there's nothing more joyous than that. So anytime I'm doing this, I'm thinking about this stuff for weeks. I've got this stuff on my mind. I'm, I'm reading, I'm mulling. Um, I'm always asking myself a lot of questions about how, and how much in alignment am I with, with the truth of God. So I was asking myself some questions. I want to turn to you guys, if you don't mind. First question I want to ask you is, do you steward, do you give of your life and your resources eagerly and willingly? Do you steward your life willingly? I was asking myself, do you steward, do you give of your life and your resources, do you, do you do that with gratitude? Do you steward, do you give your life, your resources generously? Do you steward, do you give of your life and your resources joyfully? Do I bear the hallmark in my life of a steward of God? Somebody that it's a way of life and not just something I do occasionally. I occasionally steward my money. I occasionally steward my time, but it's, it's just a hallmark of my life. Okay, it's not only a way of life. I, stewardship is about the lordship of Jesus. I'm convinced of this. The more and more I thought about this topic, the more I thought about the lordship of Jesus in my life. The reality is the stewardship is about who is reigning supreme in my life. Is it me or is it him? Does he have the supremacy or do I have the supremacy in my life? We just saw in the text six times the word Lord. Six times. Stewardship is about lordship. Who's the Lord of my life? In addition to all that, in verse 11, it says that this, his is the kingdom. In verse 11, it said he's head over all things. And in verse 12, it says that he's ruler of all things. God is the Lord of all. And stewardship is really about lordship, and it's about the lordship of Jesus. And it all goes back to those three first principles, that everything that exists, it's from God and belongs to him. He's the sole owner. He's the rightful owner. And that everything I have, it's just a gift from God's good hand. So everything I have, it's on loan to me from God. And so therefore, I'm a steward of everything I possess. 
to use it according to his purposes, his vision, his values, his desires. How many of you guys know I'm a big fan of J.R. Tolkien? J.R.R., I said it fast, two R's. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings. If you haven't read the books, it's the best, almost the best thing I've ever read. Seen the movies. He, there's so much biblical theology in the Lord of the Rings, in Tolkien's writings. And he did a really profound thing in that book. Um, in, um, there's the city of Gondor where the, the men, the kings of men had ruled and that line had been broken and there hadn't been a king for generations. And so the men who were put in charge of Gondor were not the king, but were called stewards. And what's really profound in the books, and they did a good job putting it in the movie, is in Gondor, there was an empty throne that was meant and saved only for the king. Only the king could sit there. And the stewards, until the rightful king came back, the stewards sat in a small black chair that was at the base of the throne, illustrating the concept that there is a throne of the Lord of my life, and I'm not to sit in that throne, right? That throne is to be empty, and it's reserved only for Jesus And as a steward, I've got a steward's chair that's below the throne, and I manage the things that he gives me. This is all about the lordship of Jesus. I love this image, how that captures that idea that Jesus is the Lord of my life. And so really, it's all about mindset. I mean, we all struggle with this. I struggle with this. It's all about mindset. Either I'm seeing myself as a manager or I'm seeing myself as an owner. And if you're like me, you're vacillating back and forth between the two on a daily basis, right? And it's so easy for me to take ownership of things God's given me to manage. It is so easy, isn't it, to do that? And it's a constant battle. It's a constant striving to remind myself that I'm a steward. That's why we're doing the series. That's why we're giving this as a reminder that I'm a steward. But it's so easy to slip into that management mindset. And here's two ways I can tell you, you know, I mean, into an owner mindset. Here's two ways to know. If you slip into an owner mindset, two things will happen in your life. Usually it's not one or the other. I think both happen. Number one, I start to hoard the things that I have. I hoard my time. I hoard my money. I hoard my resources and my talents. I want to use them for me and only me. And the other thing I tend to do is when I'm living as an owner is I'll squander a lot of his resources. I'll waste my money. I'll waste my time. I'll waste my talents and abilities on things that don't matter. So those to me are the two signs always that, oh, I think I'm slipping into an owner mindset. So not wanting to live in that kind of a way. So stewardship really is, it's all about surrender. That if Jesus is truly Lord of my life, and if I'm clear as to who the owner of my life is, then I'll know that he's the one that really possesses and owns everything, and that I'm just a steward of it. To me, a guy who modeled this well is a man named Thomas McClellan who grew up in Scotland. In 1857, he ended up coming to the U.S. as an immigrant. And in the third week, I'm going to tell you more of his story as a steward. But when he turned 20, in his journal, he wrote a prayer. I want to read it to you. I find it very profound. It was a covenant that he made with the Lord. He said, O God of heaven... Recorded in the book of thy remembrances that from henceforth I am thine forever. I renounce all former lords that have had dominion over me, and I consecrate all that I am and all that I have, the faculties of my mind, the members of my body, my worldly possessions, my time, my influence over others, all to be used entirely for thy glory and resolutely employed in obedience to thy commands as long as thou continuest me in life." 
Boy, to that, I mean, I read that and I say, could you say with me, like, can we do an amen for that? Amen. Isn't that powerful? And when you hear what God did with his life, this man who saw himself as a steward, your jaw will drop when you see how God took his life and used it. Uh, I shouldn't have said in three weeks. I just should have said in one of these three weeks. Uh, anyways. Um, well, I tell you, you know, again, it's so easy to slip in that ownership mindset. That's, it's, this is not an easy pill to swallow for two things because everything in my sinful self and everything in society, this cuts against the grain of all of that, all of that, all of that. And the two enemies, the two enemies of stewardship flow out of those two things. Control, my desire to control, and that, my desire to consume. And my sinful self, my flesh, that going back to Genesis 3, that I know what's best for my life. I'm going to be Lord of my life. I'm going to run my life. That desire to control continually creeps in to own, right? Continually. And I'll tell you how you know when you're too controlling. People who struggle with high levels of control also struggle with high levels of fear. Talked about that a lot last spring. Control and fear go hand in hand. That when I give up control of my life, a lot of my fears slip away. If I'm living in great fear, it's because I'm trying to control everything. And consumerism, my society telling me, hey, get all you can, can all you get. It's all for you. You know, just, 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 it's all yours and do what you want. These two things just constantly fight against this idea of stewardship inside of me. So, regarding that ownership management, I have two questions. They're on the sheet, but two questions I was thinking of myself. And I'd like you to ask yourself, as you sit here today, am I viewing myself as a manager or trustee of what's God give, what God's given me, or am I seeing myself as owner and controller of all of I have? As you sit today, what are you, how are you living? As an owner or a manager? Even a better question, what if we let somebody follow you for a week or a month and record everything you did? So if someone could see how I manage my life, my resources, my time, my talent, my treasure, my relationships, my influence, when they conclude that I see myself as the owner of my life or as a steward of my life. There is, by the way, somebody who is watching you. Not in a weird way, okay, but who is watching and who sees everything we do with our lives and who knows the answer to that question. So just some things to think about. And then finally, to me, stewardship's about discipleship. This is really connect the idea. It's about lordship. Um, last week, Jesse Brinson was up here, and he gave a definition for discipleship that comes from Jim Putman, a discipleship that for several years since I encountered it, I've really loved. And Jim Putman takes his discipleship definition out of Matthew 4.19, where Jesus says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So to Jesus, a disciple or an apprentice of him is somebody who is following him, who's being changed by him, and who is on mission with him. That's what a disciple is. Not showing up at church and sitting in a seat, that's not a disciple. A disciple is a person who follows him, who's on a journey of being transformed by him, and who's living on mission with him. That's what a steward is. A steward is a disciple of Jesus. And I want to tell you, I got to be honest, discipleship of Jesus, it's not a spectator sport. Never was to him. Never was. Never meant to be that. Just showing up on a Sunday morning, watching, taking off, and the rest of your week is yours. That's not what discipleship is. That's not what following Jesus is about. 
We affirm the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, where he says, Do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Can you... Let me read these words, and then I want us to say them together with the word I. Can we do that? Paul says, you are not your own. And so to that, we would say, I am not my own. You were bought with a price. How about I am bought with a price? Can we do that? I am bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So as followers of Jesus, we reject the pull of our sinful self to be in control of everything, to be the owner. We reject our society's call to just accumulate material things and to just spend it all on ourselves. We reject all of that. And I'm, I got to be honest. It, it's easy, I think, these days, if we want to attract people to Jesus, we want to never talk about the cost, but following Jesus and being a disciple has a cost to it. It costs you your life. That's why in Luke 9, 23 to 24, Jesus said that if anybody would come after me, he must deny himself and he must take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. So this stewardship idea, it's going to cost you. I've got to be honest. Jesus was honest. It's going to cost you. How many of you here are parents and have had children? I want you to raise your hand. If you're a parent and you've had children... Do parents cost, I mean, do parents, <laughs> yeah, parents cost you. Do children cost you? Do they not cost a lot? A quarter of a million dollars, the last I read, from, one to eight, from zero to 18 that you put in them. And it's not just money. The cost is high, right? But how many of you as parents would, ever, would frown upon the cost? You, do you ever care about the cost? You would, you would pay triple the cost, on your children, would you not? Because the cost isn't what matters. What matters is the joy of parenting your children. It's the same with Jesus. Yes, there's a cost, a cost of stewarding my life. But through that stewarding comes great joy. It's not a cost of pain, it's a cost of joy. That's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So, I want to close. Six principles on the back of the card. Everything that exists is from God and belongs to Him. Everything I have then is a gift from God's good hand. Therefore, I'm a steward of everything I possess. As a steward, I should use what I have in a responsible manner, faithfully administering it for his purposes and his glory. And I'm accountable to God for the ways in which I steward my life. Finally, it's only right that I gladly return a portion of all that I have to God and to his work out of gratitude for all that he's done for me. Have you ever entrusted somebody with money or a task, had them do something for you and they utterly failed or did the total opposite of what you wanted? Ever had that happen? Since somebody an errand, or I don't know, had them do something. Do you remember how it feels to entrust somebody with something and they violate that trust? So imagine how God feels every day with millions and millions of people violating the trust that he's given them. Imagine the grief that he goes through. Let us strive to live in a way that Jesus will say to all of us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let us strive to do that. Let us strive to take upon us the example of S. Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A. Not Chipotle, Chick-fil-A. I say that because anytime we would take international students on trips, the Koreans always confused Chipotle and Chick-fil-A all the time. And they'd be like, hey, Garen, can we stop at Chick-fil-A? And I'd say, we'd say, sure. And so we'd stop at a place and then we'd go to... We'd go to Chipotle, and they'd be like, no, we said Chick-fil-A. I mean, but the way it, Chick-fil-A, Chipotle. 
Or one time we were, on a, we were coming back from Passion Conference. We're like, hey, the next stop has a Chipotle. And they're going, hey, oh, we, we want to go to Chipotle. We haven't done Chipotle on this trip. It was a Chipotle, but we stopped there and they're like, well, where's the Chick-fil-A? Or, anyways, I'm talking about Chick-fil-A, okay? Chick-fil-A. As Truett Cathy was a follower of Jesus. And he was a steward of his life. And here's the purpose of Chick-fil-A. By the way, before I show that, a company that right now is rated number one in customer service of all food companies in the country. The fastest growing food company in the United States. Do you know why? Because um, it was headed by a man who saw that company as a stewardship. And here, out front of their, their building in a, on bronze is this. Their corporate purpose is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us and to have a positive influence on other people who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. Isn't that awesome? And they, to this day, continue to steward well the resources that God gives them. So, uh, William James says this. The greatest use of life is to spend it on something that will outlast it. That's the call. Steward your life for eternity, for things that will outlast it. And so my final question is this, that I've been asking myself for weeks. And this morning even, I sit here, as I sit here this morning, what is one thing, one thing I already know I can steward differently in my life? Just one thing. Is there one thing you can, this morning you're like, I just know this thing in my life I'm not stewarding it well that this week you can commit to stewarding better for him. Twelfth, may we be known as a community of people who live as stewards, total counter to everything in our culture, that we live our lives for God and his purposes, the advancement of his kingdom, that we live for him to be famous, to shine a light on him, that we live to be a blessing to other people, to serve and to share with others, and to serve his body, May we be that kind of people. May we be known as a place where the people that go to that church live their lives as stewards. So I want you to stand with me. Would you end? I want us to end with, by praying Thomas McClellan's covenant prayer that he prayed to the Lord. And I want us to pray this from our heart because this is a serious commitment. So would you pray this with me? Oh God of heaven, record it in the book of thy remembrances that from henceforth, I am thine forever. I renounce all former lords that have had dominion over me. And I consecrate all that I am and all that I have. The faculties of my mind, the members of my body, my worldly possessions, my time, my influence over others, all to be used entirely for thy glory and resolutely employed in obedience to thy commands as long as thou continuest me in life. And to that we say, in the name of Jesus, to that we say, amen and amen. So, 12th, you are sent this week to steward your life for the Lord. So, let's do that. Amen.